across, and there's the volley from Caprari! A stunner from Gianluca Caprari! Well, uh, we had a uh, Interfan uh, in the lead at the Masters, and uh, in the key moments of the Masters, just like Inter do, uh, that Interfan bottled it. Uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That's a different sport. Let's talk Calcio. This is the Serie A sit-down. World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is, always at the highest level. I'm Frank Crivello. Uh, glad to have you along with us. And also along with me, uh, back from his uh, much-needed respite last week, is co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Uh, yeah, and to go along with that, you know, the King of the North, uh, they had a chance to seal up the title this weekend, but they failed to do so. But I'm sure we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The uh, that's... Uh, they had their t- yeah everybody everybody was bottling things this week and uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a pretty interesting week of uh, Serie A to uh, you know to be sure uh, nine games as of this recording uh, uh, we're doing this on Sunday night so Atalanta and Empoli are playing on Monday but nine games and just seventeen goals Richard um, pretty rough state of affairs uh, when the leading scorer for the weekend is a center is a center back uh the uh, brace from Kalidou Koulibaly yes, uh, yes. for Napoli so uh but uh we should point out there were some outstanding goalkeeping performances this weekend Richard 100% yeah the goalies really stood out this weekend as evident with these uh, low scoring games and uh, uh they deserved a kudos much much big saves in the game including a penalty in, in one of the games so uh yeah great goalkeeping all the way around yeah for sure so for for those of you that are listen and are goalkeepers and and have an affinity for goalkeeping um the top five this week i think we're probably only going to have one goal in it and the rest is going to be goalkeeping uh so um this week is for you uh don't get used to it (laughs) Um, so and then yeah uh yeah we almost had an italian uh, masters champion there with uh with molinari um but uh he put in the drink on uh, he put in the drink on 12 uh and then had you know and then uh on a on a on the 15th that everybody and their mother were either birdieing or bogey or birdieing or making eagle he makes a double bogey so but you know if you're in if interisti that should be nothing new right <laughs> yeah it's commonplace for them it doesn't matter the sport they uh, bottle it no matter what <laughs> <laughs> just pouring salt in the wounds oh. and just uh you know just what a what a what a cool moment though for tiger woods to uh to to win the masters again just kind of a kind of a kind of a side note there but uh but but yeah we should we should point out i mean he he was out tiger was outstanding but we should point out those two holes where uh where it totally fell apart for Molinati because he was he was in he was he was in pretty good command until that happened so uh but you got to play every hole that's just the way it is it's just like uh, you got to play every minute when you play play uh, calcio uh so um hopefully we'll have an italian masters winner here soon but or you know he won the open last summer at least there's that um but uh let's get back to the calcio richard and uh we're we're not gonna have a hard time getting through this slate here with the lack of goals but we had we had two key games here one in terms of how the champions league race is going to be shaped and then the other uh, one of the most under the ra- as what we've been saying all along here ever since we started Serie A, one of the most under the radar derbies 
in all of world football, the Derby della Lanterna. So we're going to spotlight both of those games. We'll get to the rest, and then uh, we'll have a quick look back of what happened in Europe for Juve and for Napoli, and then a look ahead uh, for what is to come in the second leg of the respective quarterfinal matches in the Champions League and the Europa League. But uh, first we begin with that important clash uh, for the Champions League places and or what would help shape the Champions League positions between AC Milan and Lazio uh, at the San Siro. Uh, the reverse fixture was a 1-1 draw at the Olimpico, a Joaquin Correa goal uh, in the dying embers uh, to rescue the point there for Lazio. And this was delicately poised. A win for Lazio um, puts them very well into the conversation for a top-four place with a game in hand, that game in hand at home against Udinese. Um you know, for Milan, a must win. Uh, and all of this, especially just coming after Roma had beaten Udinese and had temporarily grabbed fourth position at the time. Yeah. And, um, I mean, let's just, let's, let's put a blanket on this to start before we do the deep dive on this game, Richard. I, this was 90 minutes of two teams that played like they knew something was on the line. I mean, this was a brilliant 90 minutes of football. I was entertained from start to finish. Absolutely, and I, and I hope people watched till the finish because there were fireworks at the end as well, which we'll get to. But um, yeah, this was a, a game that uh, it looked like both teams won in the first half. Uh, one team dominated, and in the second half, the other team pretty much dominated. It was a uh, good back and forth, some great goalkeeping in this game, and uh, yeah, unfortunately there weren't more goals in this one. Yeah, yeah, you, you would think with these two teams. Although I, I will say this, I mean, both of them have been much, much better defensively in 2019. Milan have fallen off a little bit um, in recent games. Uh, but Lazio has has really gotten themselves organized and have, have played a lot better now. Granted, they've had a couple of games here where where they did uh, come apart a little bit, defeats to Spall and I believe to Sassuolo uh, coming in. So uh, Lazio kind of limping into this and still an all important game. Um, and speaking of limping in, uh, Pepe Reina got another start in goal for Milan. Um, and then the back four, Calabria, Musacchio, Romagnoli, Rodriguez. No one's surprised by that. And then the midfield of Kessi, Bakayoko, Chalhanolu. Uh, and Borini getting a second straight start uh, on that left flank with Piantic, uh and Suzo also in attack. Um, Lazio countered with Stracogia in goal, a back three of Luis Felipe, uh, Acerbi, and Bastos. Um, Romulo on the... Uh, uh, as a right wing back, Milinkovic, Savic, Lucas, Luis Alberto, and then Senad Lulic as the left wing back. Joaquin Correa uh, with Chiro Immobile up front. Richard, thoughts on the lineups? Um, both fairly standard lineups. Um, it, it was good to see um, Immobile in the lineup, but as I, mean, I, I was personally hoping to see Caicedo as well with Immobile. But, I mean, hey, Joaquin Correa has been having a good season this year, so it's not too surprising that he was in the start there. Um, and, and from Milan's side, um uh, not surprised that Fabio Borini is in the lineup. He's been he's been a workhorse. He's not the most talented guy, but uh, he'll give you 90 minutes or however long he can st- he can last. Um, he'll just he'll be an effective, hardworking guy, and that's at least that's all you can ask for from him. Um, you need you need players that that have that uh that engine, and uh, while well, you got that in the midfield with Kessier, uh, you need you certainly need it on the wings as well. Agreed, agreed. And it was Lazio who almost got the uh, early lead. Um, a good bit of work there by Joaquin Correa to work his way into the penalty area. And then he slips the ball over to Chiro Immobile, um, who has an effort on goal that is uh, that is parried away by uh, Pepe Reina and out for a corner. So early on, Lazio uh, got that quality chance. But it was Milan who had the majority of the possession, though, uh, in about those first 15 minutes. Um, and really, Richard... Th- the possession was great, but they just seemed to be one ball away every time 
uh, from creating anything dangerous. And then you know, a couple things that I noted, uh, I mean, in particular, I think in any particular crossing situation, Lazio clearly doing their homework defensively had three defenders around Piontek. It was pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah, anytime, anytime he got the ball, they, they circled him like sharks and they just completely surrounded him. He had nothing, no options whatsoever. Um, you know, while Milan did have much more of the possession, uh, you know, Lazio were taking advantage of the times. I mean, like, Immobile, it's, it's, you, you can't say enough about how good this guy is when it's a goal scoring opportunity. I mean, the pass to Joaquin Correa was okay, but it was in his feet and he was able to, like, shift in the air and get a shot off when I guarantee you, 99% of the people in, in, in Serie A would not be able to get a shot off in that situation. Immobile can, um, and he forced a great save by, by Reina in that situation. But yeah, um, Lazio have been doing their homework on, on Milan, especially defensively, and they, they knew that you give Piantic some free space, let him hold up the ball, he'll set, he'll set up for everybody else, and that's the last thing they wanted. So they, they surrounded him all times, and it was very effective in the first half. Lazio would then start establishing a little bit more possession. And the interesting thing that I saw, Richard, Milan defensively, um, they could, they they got out of their shape and they got out of their shape when anytime the ball kind of got into their third of the pitch. And I saw a lot more man marking from them than I typically see. Um, it almost was as if Romagnoli was picking up Milinkovic Savic when the ball was over on the right hand side and they had Musacchio on, on Immobile. Um, a little bit worrying to do this kind of man marking because one, I think it kind of stretches you out. But the other thing is that, you know, the the wrong player needs to be switched off at the wrong time for somebody to get free and get a ball and have a have a dangerous chance. Um, what did you think of some of the man marking that uh, Gattuso employed with uh, with Milan here? Uh, you know, in in those stages of the first half. I mean, like you, I was a little worried at the beginning. I wasn't sure how it would work. I mean, because all it takes is one guy to get beat, and then it's basically, a, you know, an odd man situation going going towards the net. Um, the guys did fairly well, fairly admirable, you know, in the situations that they had. Um, I can see why Romagnoli was guarding uh, Milikovic Savic, you know, because of size and, and the talent that, that that gentleman has. And Muzakio, he's got a good pace for, um, for a defender to keep up with Immobile. So I understand why they did that there, and... Um, yeah, overall it worked. It ended up working, but you know, that's not something I would have typically done. And, um, like I said in the beginning, I was a little worried when I saw it, but it, 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 it ended up, it ended up working out for them at the end. And they nearly got caught. Joaquin Correa in particular yeah. got free, um, on one where his chance, I believe it went wide. I don't think he forced a save out of Reina in that particular instance, but, uh, uh, but fortunately, uh, he didn't get enough on it or, uh, didn't get it, didn't get it on frame. Um, the other, dangerous chance that Lazio had and and I thought Lazio's uh you know from the first half and I think overall throughout the game I thought Lazio's best player was Luis Alberto um and uh he and Immobile nearly connect on an opening goal there in the first half and it was uh Alberto gets it close to the left flank just approaching the penalty area and Immobile uh, starts by coming up to get onside with Musaku, and then he does a quick cut as Luis Alberto strike, struck the ball. It was a good reading of the game by both players. Alberto seeing what Immobile was doing, Immobile seeing it and, and cutting to the run, and nearly beating Reina at his near post. Yeah. Um, so almost it, it would have been a very clever goal by Lazio and would have kind of, you know, as we talked about, you know, could have caught Milan napping there uh, with some of the man marking that they were doing. That was an example of it, but... Uh, uh, Reyna covers his near post well there and uh, and gets his defender off the hook. Yeah, Reyna came up big and he has been coming up big over the last uh, you know so so many starts. 
Um, it's the one thing you want as a backup, someone not only who has uh, years of experience as Reyna does, but uh, when he's when he's thrust into a game, you want him to come up big. And and Reyna certainly has. He certainly still has a quick the cat like reflexes, as evident in this game. And um, yeah, he had to bail out his defense in a couple situations, and this was one of them that you were talking about. And um, you got to give all credit to him for, uh, despite not getting as much game time as he has been, as he had been in the past, like with Napoli or whatever. Uh, he's still be able to keep mentally sharp, and that and that's that's a tricky thing sometimes as a goalkeeper when you're on the bench or when you don't see much action. Yeah, and we're seeing all the respect that Lazio. Let's go the other way. When you see all the respect that Lazio was giving Milan and was giving Piontek with uh, double and sometimes even triple marking him in crossing situations, it opened up a lot of space for Hakan Chalhanolu, who I thought had an outstanding game here. Um, in particular, in the first half, was very involved, very influential. Tried turning in a number of crosses, took a number of shots. Uh, believe he had a chance that uh, Strakoja had to tip over the bar that was dipping um, that I, that came in the first half. Um, talk about Chalhanolu's play here because, uh, for me, I thought him along with Bakayoko were the two best players on the pitch for Milan in that first half. And that's not a far-fetched thing to hear because we, we hear this almost all the time, especially Bakayoko. Bakayoko's been a stalwart for Milan Um this season, really, and for the entire season, uh, Chalhanolu and, and Bakioka was excellent. I, I mean, I'm just pointing out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chalhanolu got to see a lot of the ball and made some pretty good use of it. Yeah, and I was gonna say, so Chalhanolu, you know, he at times he can be, he can be, uh, you don't see him on the pitch, kind of like Suzo, but at other times he is forefront in the game. He is his nose is in the game. He's making all the plays. Uh, he's moving around, uh, enjoying the role that he gets from Gattuso. And in this game that he was there. Uh, finding passes, taking shots. Like you mentioned, the Strakosha had to make a save on. Um, really putting his fingerprints on the game, trying to uh, quarterback the play, if you will, and try to set things up for not only for Piantic but for his fellow teammates. Um, I thought he uh, made had excellent vision to get open um, and and get into spots where he could get the ball and then try to try to find his teammates who were open at times. So um, yeah, when with when a guy like Piantic is covered, you need someone else to step up, especially because you you know more guys are going to be open. So. Um, Chalanola was trying to fill that void in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, like the influence that he had on the game, Milan's most dangerous chance uh, across that came into the penalty area. Piontek was able to get up against the center back and get the ball at his feet and drop it off to Suzo, uh, who attempted uh, – it looked like he attempted a, to try to chip or try to put it over Strakoja and just got over the bar. But that seemed to me to be Milan's best chance of the first half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, other than – other, you know, Lazio had a lot of the better chances in the first half, but that that particular play by Suzo was the closest Milan had in, in the first half. And, um, you know, I could see where he was going with the shot, like you said. I was hoping they would dip down and, and just get under the bar, but uh, fortunately got just a little underneath it. Um, but, yeah, Milan starting to create some opportunities as the half goes on, um, which is which is a good sign, which is obviously a thing that would lead to the second half uh, and the resurgence in there. Yeah, and... Uh... It would be nil-nil at halftime. I mean, first half, I thought the best players in the match uh, all came from the midfield areas. I thought Luis Alberto, very influential for Lazio, uh, directed traffic, you know, helped to create a lot of chances, facilitated things from his position. Um, And then the other way, uh, Bakayoko did a lot of ball winning, um, did a lot of key passes, never really put the team in trouble with his passing. Uh, and then, like we said, I thought Chalinola was terrific. I think uh, taking advantage of some of the space and some of the opportunity that was going to be afforded to him because Lazio defensively, the way they set up, just had so much respect for Piontek, uh, you know, and, and, and to an extent, Suzo. Um, but, you know, again, when we come back to Suzo, 
it's it's easy to you know it's easy to close him down because he keeps trying to do the same thing. And again, this is no different. And Suzo had a relatively decent game. He wasn't extraordinary here for me, um, but uh, you know certainly tried to produce some chances, force some shots. Uh, you know, but uh, the rest of it just you know providing service to Piantic so he can finish. That's not there at all. Um, and uh, you know he's still trying to rely on that you know, that cut in and create his own chance. Uh, so uh, for me, and, and we'll talk about his chance late in the second half, um, that could have put the game away. But for me, I thought Suzo was still, you know, there were still issues with Suzo. And as I said, Chalhanolu for me picking up the slack. So again, for me, first half, best players, Luis Alberto, uh, Bakioko, and uh, and Chalhanolu. I would agree with that as well. Um, I thought, uh, <coughs> excuse me, those are the best players. Uh, and, and for their teams in the first half, while well, Immobile may have had more shots or something than Alberto, Alberto was the one pulling the strings, creating things for Lazio. So uh, certainly, certainly those are great shots there. Yep. Um, so nil-nil at halftime. We come out in the second half, and uh, uh, Joaquin Correa had to uh, had to leave the game through injury. Uh, three minutes into the second half, Felipe Caicedo comes on. Uh, but then uh, more concerning for more, more concerning for the home team. Obviously, it's concerning for for a Correa injury, uh, as far as Lazio is concerned. But Milan have Calabria go down injured, and you know Calabria Calabria from a performance standpoint flew under the radar uh, to me compared to the three players we just mentioned. I thought he was terrific, and it was a pity that he got hurt. But Laxalt comes on, and then a, a minute later, Roman Yoli gets hurt, and uh, Christian Zapata comes on. And Catuso uh, had substitutions with, I mean, they, they were injury substitutions, so his hand was forced, but there was purpose to his substitutions. He changed the shape um, and went to three. He, he basically, you know, he, he, he almost pretty much matched Lazio's formation, uh, went to a three-back with Musacchio, Zapata, and, and Rodriguez. He had Laxaltby as a left wing-back, and he moved Berini over to the right. Yeah. So he got, you know... I'm watching this and I'm like, I get the injuries, I guess the four substitutions, but he's actually shifting the formation. He's actually showing some purpose with what he's doing. Yeah, and then this is what it's funny because uh, we haven't seen too much of this when, when uh, Gattuso under Milan. But if you look back at his coaching credentials when with a, with a smaller team that he's played against, he's he's been known to shift his formations throughout games like this in the past. It just with Milan, he's been uh, you know sticking with basically the four three three or sometimes the the four two three one or whatever, um, yeah. So this is this is a it was a, a unique crinkle. Um, he showed the flexibility of a player, a versatility of a player like Fabio Borini, who played left wing to begin with, and then he would finish off with like right wing back or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, Gattuso's not really stuck in his ways. He's trying to find ways to, you know, match the other team, try, try to find weaknesses on the other team, and, and try to exploit that. And I think those those changes ended up, you know, in Milan's benefit because the team. Uh, certainly responded uh, once those changes were made. Well, they uh, they controlled the second half of the game. They had more chances. They had more possession. Um, you know, Lazio were hoping to maybe hit them on the counter. Uh, they would bring off uh, Senad Lulic and they would bring on Riza Dermizi um, at left wing back, and we'll tell you why that substitution was important here shortly. Uh, that was in the 74th minute, but just a few minutes later, Suzo. Uh, would get off a cross and it would strike the arm of one of the Lazio defenders who a Cherby, yeah. was it a Cherby? Yeah, yeah, it was a Cherby. And you know, I want to point out another thing here before we get into the meat of the the, the rest of this game and obviously the incident that hap- happened afterward. Um, you know, 
if this game ends nil-nil, are we looking at Francesco Acerbi as man of the match? Because, I mean, he – I. We, you know, Milan fans, I think, are worshiping Christoph Piontek just a little bit too much. Yeah. But let's just let's let's face facts here. For the majority of this game, Acerbi had Piontek in his back pocket. Acerbi doing a Koulibaly impression, right? Uh, no, he yeah. did. He certainly, he, you know, he kind of talked trash, if you will, before the game, if you want to call it that. Um, and he kind of backed it up in the he, game. He backed it up, yeah. Uh, he played very, very solidly. He shut down Milan's best striker, best player, uh, for the best for the most part, and. Um, yeah, there was that play there that you you were just referencing to where it hits him in the arm, which I didn't think at all. I mean, bad an eye. I didn't even think it was a penalty. I mean, when they called it, I was like, what? No, when they see the VAR, it's going to show clearly that his arm was on the side. But Acherby, you know, he, uh, he's he been solid for Lazio um, since he's been since he joined with them in this season in particular. And uh, he's really become a, a, uh, a strong defensive player, not only for Lazio, but in the league in, in general. So um, good for him to... Not only, you know, not only to run your mouth. Maybe you don't want to do that so much, but he backed it up, and uh, you can't. You, you got to give him kudos for that. Yeah, I thought he he did. A, he he played a really solid game back there for Lazio. Um, and yeah, when that happened, I thought, yeah, there's no way this is sticking. Um, and VAR went ahead and overturned it, which was the right decision. Yes. Uh, but then shortly thereafter, that a legitimate penalty. Um, and why we say the Dermisi substitution is important because he practically catapulted himself. Uh, into Musacchio as a ball was coming across in the penalty area. Uh, penalty to Milan, which, uh, Frank Kessie makes no mistake with, make, makes no mistake with. Um, and what might be at the time, and this is, I'm not trying to get a little overdramatic here, Richard, but this could possibly be the most important goal anyone from Milan has scored this season. It was the, the amount of pressure that was on Kessie on that play to score it. Uh, you can't, you can't even understate it because it, 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 you know, Champions League is on the spot. You're playing another team who's trying to take that spot from you. Uh, Roma just won today, so you know they're already in the driver's seat. You have to win the game no matter what. It's a must-win, like you said before the game. And he stepped up, and, he, and I mean, I would probably, as a Milan fan, I, I would want no one else better in, that, in that, those shoes than Kessier. He's, he's showed time and time again in the penalty spot that he can do it. Um, if it was Suzu, it would be a different situation, or somebody else. Uh, maybe Piantic or, or something like that. But uh, Kessier has been pretty solid at this point, and that's a perfect player you want to have in that kind of situation. Excellent. And that put Milan ahead by a goal to nil. The next incident, uh, Luis Alberto uh, getting a yellow card for a foul. And uh, to much to uh, Simone Inzaghi's dismay, and uh, <laughs> Simone Inzaghi was promptly sent uh, upstairs uh, by Gianluca Rocchi uh, for uh, – I, I, Inzaghi must have said something about Rocchi's mother. I don't know. <laughs> Um, it's usually what happens. Yeah. Um, but uh, he sent he sent upstairs. Uh, he's clearly unhappy with the officiating uh, and how things have been called in this game. Uh, and then uh, into stoppage time, which of, of which there was six minutes. Uh, another incident. Um, Sergei Milinkovic. The ball is coming into Sergei Milinkovic Savage. It's defended by Ricardo Rodriguez. He gets a foot to the ball, and then he gets a foot to. Uh, Milinkovic Savic, which has him, you know, has Milinkovic Savic going down in the penalty area, appeals for a penalty, are waved off, and and I'm not being a homer. That is absolutely uh, that is absolutely the correct decision. Rodriguez got the ball first. Yeah, and and so these kind of situations when they happen, I look this, I look in fact to see if the ball gets touched first. Um, if if the player, if he had got Milinkovic Savic first without the ball, I would say hey, that's a clear penalty. I don't care who who's playing the game, but um, the fact that I think the defender got him first. Um, I think the referee made the right call in that situation. It's consistent with 
why Piontek didn't get the penalty against Sampdoria. Yeah, uh, the yeah, defender exactly. on that play got a little of the ball first, then got to Piontek. And, I mean, one of the rare times where Italian officials and VAR are being consistent. At least we've got we we, we we've got to point out when they're doing it. Juve because, wasn't in the match, though. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, well, if it was a Juve player that was hit, it would have been a penalty. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, let's not kid let's not kid ourselves here, right? So, um, but uh, but no, uh, Rodriguez, uh, you know, certainly not a foul there. That ends um, towards the end of the game. The match ends by a goal to nil, but there's more um, from the incident. Suzo's going over to Lucas. Um, whether to say good game or whether to confront him about something, who knows. But Luis Felipe didn't like it uh, and started charging over to Suzo, and a whole bunch of fireworks started off after that, players pushing and shoving. I mean, I think that the end of that match, Richard, is pretty much um, a microcosm of how that entire 90 minutes went. That was intense football for 90 minutes between two teams that were fighting for something, as we said earlier. Two teams are fine for it, and then at the end of the game, they're fighting each other. Um, yeah, it was a that was a very very intense game. A lot on the line, um, a lot of money on the line. I mean, you you get a Champions League spot. That's a lot of money going towards you. And um, both these clubs wanted, you know, obviously Lazio last year um, bottling at the end where uh, Devry messes it up, and of course he goes over to Inter. Um, so both you know both these teams really want the Champions League football next season, and uh, they look like they, they both wanted it. So um, it doesn't surprise me that the tensions were that high that they escalated post post match and. Uh, we saw some celebrations that people were uh, not too happy with, in particular uh, Francesco Acerbi, huh? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, Acerbi, I guess, exchanges jerseys, whether it was with Kessie or whether it was with Bakayoko, and then Kessie and Bakayoko run over towards the Corbusu holding up Acerbi's jersey as if it's some sort of trophy. It got Tancredi Palmieri all upset. So, so. <laughs> Oh, so okay. and that got it got a lot of other people up in arms in Italy. So that gets you up in arms, but the racist chanting from the ultras doesn't get you up in arms. Exactly. Okay. Really? Okay. So let me give a little go backstory ahead, about what happened with what between it? these two players. Yeah, um, go ahead. So before the match, Cherby was talking a little bit of trash on Twitter, saying you know uh, he was talking about more about like Lazio and Lazio's Lazio's a far stronger team at the moment or whatever. Some somehow Bakayoko got infuriated by this. He tweeted back at him. He goes, "All right, we'll see you on Sunday." Um, or Saturday, whatever. Uh, so they're in the game, you know, they play whatever. And the end of the game, I guess Cherry wanted to make amends and started to say, hey, look, hey, no, no hard feelings, whatever. Just, you know, a little pregame t- banter or whatever. So he gave him the exchange jerseys of Bakayoko. And Bakayoko and Kessie went, you know, they said they were joking around. They were waving the, waving the jersey around like it was a trophy, as you said. And he didn't like it. And after the match, Cherry came out on Twitter and said, well, I, didn't, I didn't agree with his wording, too. He said He said something like, uh, you're, por- you're portraying hate or something like that, and it turned out almost link it to racism in a way, but not without saying it. Um, and then after, after I think earlier today or later today, he said that, uh, oh, you know, we take it back. Bakayoko and I are friends. No worries. We'll see you get see you on the field soon. So, with all that aside, I said it seems like um, the FIGC now want to somehow take this to to court to the sporting court and try to find a charge against Kessier and Bakayoko. Meanwhile, with all this racist shit that's been going on in Syria, nobody wanted to do any kind of uh, uh, file charging against them. That doesn't make any sense. It tells you how upside down Syria is at the moment, out of, out of football. Um, it's, it's completely ludicrous. And people who are upset about what Kessier and Bakayoko did in this game, um, go fuck yourselves. You're fucking stupid. <laughs> go, go you know, get out of my face. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
I mean, obviously the racist stuff trumps anything else that's going on. So that's what should be focused on in the courts and whatever and banning people um, and not worrying about two guys who were, you know, two teams who were having beef with each other. I mean, let, let it be. They made, they made they squashed it at the end. Come on. Richard, Richard's upset, everybody. I'm sweating <laughs> now. I'm sweating now. Yeah. He's got to see your sweat. Oh, wow. You're, you're even sweating now. Wow. Um, yeah. And if, if it's gotten that deep with Richard, then you know it's a problem. So – um, I agree. I just, I, you know, this is just, this is just childish all the way around. Okay. These are players that are, you know, this is, this is similar to, you know, college American football here. You know, you get flagged for excessive celebration yeah. and it's, you know, and, and sometimes that has cost teams games because then they have to take a longer extra point and the kicker misses. It has actually happened where, you know, you, it's 28, you know, you get the touchdown, you're within a point, you do an excessive celebration, and now it's a longer extra point, and the kicker misses it, and you can't force overtime. You lose the game by a point. I mean, these are athletes. These guys just played an emotional, intense 96 minutes. I would be saying the same damn thing if Chiro Immobile, okay, if Chiro Immobile and, uh, and, and Felipe Caicedo went and took Romagnoli's jersey and trotted over to the ultras from Lazio that made the trip and held it up as a trophy. I don't care, you know. I don't. I don't care. I'm not worried about these guys being proper. I'm worried about that. You, these guys should be emotional after a win like that. Okay, that's a huge game. That is a lot of money on the line for both of those clubs. On top of it. Yep. All right. When you're talking about the difference between qualifying for the Champions League and the Europa League, and everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna get all up in arms over that incident, but we're not gonna get up in arms over all of the racist abuse towards Moise. Ask Moise Can if that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Ask Khalidou Koulibaly if that's a problem. All right. You know what uh, what Cassie and Bakayoko did. All right. The only people who have the problem with it are people that are just easily offended. All right. And you know. And and the FIGC and Legacy 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 Lega Calcio they're offended by that, but they're not offended by some of the racism that's putting a stain on the game uh on the peninsula. It's just it's a shame. So um you know let let young players be young players. Let them okay, it's a it's fine. Maybe it's not in the best taste and the players are all past it and they've moved on from it. Maybe FIGC Lega Calcio Maybe these guys in the suit should move on from it too. Get the stick out of their ass and just let's let's <laughs> let's move on to it and let's actually put your attention uh, to bigger and, and more important issues. So um, that's just that's just the way it is. It's just it's it's really aggravating, um, you know, to see that kind of kind of talk going around. And uh, you know, for you know Tancredi Palmieri to come out, I, I, is he even credible anymore? No, no, not especially now. I mean, if he what was after his comments, no. What a joke. Stupid. You know, it's just it's it's you know if I ever see him, I'm going. If I ever meet him, if I ever go back over there again, if I ever and if I ever meet him, I'm slapping him on that bald head, and I don't care who arrests me after that. Uh, so arrested abroad, I can see it now. <laughs> we're riled up, aren't we? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so you know, fall, you know, falling action from all of this. Let's just you know forget about the incident aside. Big problem now for Lazio because they're six points back. They do have the game in hand. So if they beat Udinese, they're three points back with, with six to play. But with all of the chasing pack, um, very hard to very hard to think this is a Lazio that gets into the top four at this point now. I agree. Um, I, would, I, would, I, mean, I would love to see them in the top four. They certainly got the players that could play in, in a Champions League type atmosphere. 
However, they've been too far too inconsistent this season and for the past two seasons to warrant a Champions League spot. Um, Roma, it seems like with Marante and, and goal, now they seem to, are seemingly playing better now. Um, obviously, in th- both Milan squads are, are, are playing are playing decent ball at the moment. Atalanta, we're still see, you're still yet to see them. They play on Monday night against uh, Empoli. So, um, you know, they got a bunch of good teams ahead of them, and it's, you got to play near perfect ball and hope that uh, not only you got to play perfect ball, you got to hope some cards fall and some teams fall and, and drop some points because that's the only way you're going to get into the mix uh, with the quality of teams above them. And I, I hate to say that about Roma, you know, with, with Lazio because I thought Lazio would maybe be a little bit better, but uh, ever since they made that switch with Mirate, they've been they've been playing a lot, much much more um, um, more attacking and, and 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 getting some goals in. So um, yeah, it's a it's a tough task for Lazio to try to qualify for Champions League, but. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, last year we didn't think they were going to lose that spot, and they end up doing that. So um, anything is possible, I guess, with six games to go. But it's it's too little too late, I think. Uh, I mean, when we look at their run-in at the moment, um, hosting Udine, they're going to do that on Wednesday, uh, that, that make-up game. Right. Uh, so they'll be even on games by then. Uh, then they host Kievo, which should be three points. Uh, then they have the... You know, and then they have on the 24th the second leg with Milan at the San Siro for the uh, Coppa Italia. Then they travel to Samp. Then they host Atalanta. Then they go to Cagliari, hosting Bologna and at Torino. That is not a that is not a fun run in uh, when you're when you're trying to play catch up uh, on the top four uh, by by any stretch of the imagination. So, um, you know, a lot of people, I, a lot of a lot of Lazio fans are going to look. Uh, I'm sure people are outside are going to say, look. Look at the record against the top six. You didn't do so well, but really, what makes this season for failure as far as not champion, qualifying for Champions League is how they played against lower teams. I mean, drawing teams like Sassuolo, losing to Spal. Um, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, they lost to Genoa early in the season as well. Um, they struggled against Empoli and uh, and Frosinone. So. You know, that's what they really got to look back. You know, we're talking about inconsistency. Yeah, you don't beat the top six teams, whatever. But you, against a team that you should beat, you're not getting the results. And that's what's failing you from, from getting to the promised land, which would be the Champions League in their in their regard. Do we know the extent yet? Let's let's flip this to Milan. Do we know the extent yet of the, the two injured players, Calabria and uh, Romagnoli? Uh, I have not heard any initial reports yet, but I would, I would assume that uh, Monday morning we would hear something about that, so... Okay, so we we've we've yet to know anything. I was trying to do some little bit of what little bit of snooping around I could do to find something, and I <laughs> I didn't have any luck. So, um, but uh, I'm sure we will uh, I'm sure we will know uh, soon enough. But uh, here's what Milan has going for them as far as their position in the top, because I believe tiebreakers are head to head. Okay, they hold aggregate over Roma, Atalanta, and Lazio now. That's good for them. That's certainly, if it came down to uh, tiebreaker, they would have the advantage. And um, at this at this point in the season, you'll take anything, right? Because anything can happen with uh, six games ago. They've beaten and drawn all three of those teams. You know, so even if it doesn't come down to tiebreakers, it, what's going to possibly make the difference for Milan is the fact that they're they were superior result wise uh, over those two games. They're running. They're at Parma on Saturday and. I, I don't know what we have with Parma anymore. So, you know, I, they, they, part of me feels like they're they're just kind of happy to be there now. They've survived. They're they're playing with they're playing with house money. Then they've got that, like we said, the the second leg, April twenty fourth against Lazio for the Copa, uh, at Torino, home to Bologna, at Fiorentina, home to Frosinone, at Spal. That's their run in. Certainly an easier run in for for Milan uh, than Lazio. Um, 
you know, Torino has been kind of stingy and stubborn here uh, in recent weeks. If they haven't been as clinical as maybe they were earlier in 2019, they have tailed off ever so slightly. Uh, they're still in the discussion. Bologna is fighting for their lives, as we know. Frosinone is probably going to be dead and buried. And by the time they get to Spall at the end, Spall will have already possibly survived because they we're going to talk about them later. They got three points today that they probably never expected. So, um, you know, so we're I. I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into pro Milan, but the combination of their run-in and their results against their against their rivals, I, I, they're in the best shape. I mean, they're in fourth now, and I, I think they're going to be fourth in the end. Yeah, the the the, the schedule certainly favors them. However, um, it's you got to play the games, right? And we've seen right. more times than not. Or not more times than not, but we've seen uh, sometimes they can overlook who they're playing. Uh, they, they get up for the big game, certainly, but then teams that they probably should handle pretty well, they have a little bit tougher times than they should. Um, hopefully this is not the case with them, because if that's the case, it's going to be a little tougher than we think. Um, you know, If it was a gauntlet you know, come down the stretch, maybe they, they perform really, really well. Who knows? Uh, sure. But yeah, it, it, I would if you know if you gave me money and who who would I take looking at the schedule, I would take Milan's schedule because it, it does look the far easier of of the of the ones remaining, especially Lazio. But uh, we'll see. I mean, anything can happen. Yeah. That was Milan and Lazio, uh, one goal to nil. Critical win for the Rossoneri in their efforts to reach Champions League football next season. Uh, your reaction to that game uh, and to our takes from that game, go to at City, I sit down on Twitter or Instagram. And now Richard is going to give us what went down in the Derby della Lanterna. There's only one game in town in this part of the world. Derby Day, the one that matters most. Welcome to the Luigi Ferrari Stadium for Genoa against Sampdoria. Yeah, this is uh, one of the most underrated uh, derbies in the world. Certainly one of my one of my favorite ones to watch. Um, it is uh, Sampdoria, who the host in this game, if you want to call them the host, hosting Genoa at the Luigi Ferrari, aka the Marassi. Um, last time these two played, it was an electric game. Really, uh, uh, Sampdoria scored two goals in the first half, and that would be all the goals in the game. They would win two nothing. Um, but this game, uh, uh, it, let's look at the lineups real quick. Um, both teams, Sustarno Sampdoria, the home, the, the quote unquote home team, um, Aduro in goal, then you had, uh, uh, Salah, Anderson, and, and Kali in defense, and with Nicholas Muru. In midfield, you had Dennis Pratt, Ekdal, Lenetti, and Gaston Ramirez, led by Quagliarella and Defrel. Uh, flipped that to, uh, Genoa side. Radu, who's been playing pretty well this season, uh, Beraski, Romero Crescito, uh, Pedro Ferreira, Rolon Veloso, who's been also very, very good this season. Um, Daniel Bessa, Lazovic, Pandev, the guy who's like 97 years old, and Christian Kawame, the, the wonder kid for, for Genoa. So, um, look at these two lineups. Frank, anything stick out for you or any, or any players in particular? Um, I mean, it's your standard 4-3-1-2 with Giampaolo uh, and Sampdoria, first yeah. and foremost. And it's been the tried and trusted of Quagliarella and Deferral up front. Um, so not terribly surprised with what I saw from that lineup. <clears throat> um, you know, looking at... Uh, Genoa, this is a suggestion that they wanted to go for it. They wanted to make a game of this with the Derby when they paired Kwame with Pandev up front. Um, it was peculiar to me that this had the look of a three-man defense with Crescito as a as a left-sided center back. Yeah. Um, I, that's not his strength to me. Maybe it's because he's so far on in his career that maybe he's not the up-and-down kind of left back that he used to be when he back, you know, for all the years that he played Presented when he was – Exiled to Russia. Um, what was he exiled to Russia for, too? For the whole thing with I think didn't he didn't he rat some players out with 
Yeah, I there think was so. there was an incident with him years back. So, but anyway, um, not a natural position for me for him, uh, which I thought was weird. But it was one of those where Pedrindelli was trying to figure out how do we fit him, how do we fit Lazovic, um, who had been decent in recent weeks for Genoa, um, you know, in the same lineup and and try to generate some level of success. Uh, and then you rely on the experience of a player like Pandev and the energy of a player like Kwame. Uh, to try to unbalance the Sampdoria back four. So a decent lineup. I just I thought it was strange that Crescito was employed in the role that he was. No, that, that's a good it's a good shot because uh, I I too was wondering that. Um, that didn't seem to bother Genoa too much. Uh, they start off the game <laughs> nearly seconds into the game. Uh, the turnover by Gaston Ramirez that led to Christian Kwame's shot that just went wide. Frank um, Genoa almost scored a minute seconds into the game. Um, Christian Kwame, that's the that's the guy you want to have the ball and a scoring opportunity like that, isn't it? It's a great chance too. Um, when I saw this happen, I thought he was gonna. I thought that was a goal. Uh, the way he was running at the Sampdoria defense, um, and we've seen that a lot from him this season. So uh, yeah, but uh, fortunately for Sampdoria, uh, that ball the ball went wide. So uh, moments later. Uh, Lanetti ends up getting the ball in the box, makes a nice move around the defender. Uh, he forces a save from uh, Radu. Uh, Radu having a big game, but uh, what a move by, by Lanetti! Did you see this? He he faked like he was going to cut into the box and then, or cut into the center and then went wide um, and got a shot off with his left foot. Um, pretty pretty cheeky by the by the Polish player. Good piece of technique from him on that. Um, you know to make that to make that happen. Uh, you know, and a great save by, by Radu. Great reaction there. So, and I, the the cross that came in, and I can't. It escapes me who who played in uh, Lenetti. I thought I thought that was Salah coming forward, turning in that cross. Yeah, I think it was too. Okay, but nonetheless, nonetheless, because there's a pinpoint cross to Lenetti there, but he did well to receive it and did well to get that little get that little turn there. Um, and just a pity that he didn't finish. We almost were one one. Just what two minutes in? Yeah. Um, what a what a what a what a start to a derby. Well, you know, it didn't happen at the two-minute mark, but it happened at the three-minute mark on the ensuing corner kick. Uh, the ball gets knocked out by Genoa. Um, I forget who it was for for Sampdoria. They shoot it in. People are calling for handball. Um, it, hit, it hit the foot of, I think, Christian Kwame or something like that. It ends up going wide at, to uh, Fabio Qualiarella. He centers it, and Gregoire de Frel gets the goal for Sampdoria. Uh, just like that, it's uh, Sampdoria get the lead, one nothing. Um Great bit of uh, hustle over there by Qualiarella to make sure the ball didn't go out of bounds, and then finding uh, Gregoire Defrel open in front of the goal. I, I, I like this goal. Um, yeah. I, I, we can't put it in our top five. I, you know, it's 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 maybe a little too basic for that. I mean, just but as someone that enjoys the nuances of the game and what's going on off the ball, I I, I love this run from Defrel and and what he did. Um, okay, so Qualiarella gets it. You know, down on the right hand side, down by the end line, and there's a window to to put a low cross in. Defrel gets himself in a position where he can attack the cross, and the thing that he reads is he just takes a step off. He takes a step back from the central defenders, and that's it from the defenders in that situation. Every single defender is watching Qualirella in the ball, and no one accounts for Defrel. Yep. So he's in a spot where you know, very similar to earlier this season when when Piantic scored against Roma. You know, he can catch, he can attack the cross and catch the defender flat-footed. Very, very same thing happened here. You catch the defenders, you know, squarely facing the ball, all flat-footed, and he can just pounce on it. Uh, and, and the run was perfectly timed. The ball was perfectly played. Great goal uh, and uh, great start for Sam. 
Yeah, um, it was a great, uh, excellent start for Sampdoria with a one nothing lead. Um, Genoa, they wanted to respond, and uh, they nearly did with Miguel Veloso, who's been having a pretty good season with with the Genoa. Uh, he gets a shot off from uh, just outside the box that forces Aduro to make the save. I think, you know, had it been anyone but Aduro, he would have had a really good chance of going in, but Aduro is a very, very solid goalkeeper. Uh, he makes he, he makes a big save seem easy, um, and he did again in that play there on Miguel Veloso. Genoa had two shots on target in this game, and Aldero had to work uh, for both of them. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, in the end of the day, you're going to look at the statistics and say Aldero was only Aldero was only forced into two saves. But, I mean, if, if he's not making those saves, it's 2-2. I mean, he had to work for that one, and I, I, can't, remember where the, I can't remember the other chance, but uh, he made another great save there, too. Yeah, and so at halftime it goes in the score score lines one nothing. Um, yeah, pretty pretty fun, entertaining first half so far. But you know, flags from both these teams going both ways. Uh, it's really a fun fun derby to watch. Um, so coming out to the second half, it's when we started things getting a little interesting. Um, a, a ball comes into the box for Gregoire Defrel. He tries to chip it over Baraski, and Baraski uh, handballs it, gets a straight red. He is ejected out of the game. Uh, clear handball to to me. Uh, is that how you saw it, Frank? I, I didn't have a problem with the handball, but do you think that's a straight red? Uh, no, I mean, I guess I tried to say he was the last guy there, but I, I thought there was another defender there. Um, I thought I would have given him a yellow at least, but um, I mean, yeah, that's it was very harsh, especially in a game like this, especially the team's already down one nothing. Um, most like more than likely to go down two nothing with a penalty like that. Uh, giving them a red, make, it's sure enough saying they know you got no chance in the rest of the game, you know. Yeah, I mean, but this is uh, Maresca officiating. Or was it? No, I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, Maresca. It, it looked like Maresca. It was uh, Calvarese, uh, Genpa. Yeah. But when I looked at the the referee, I thought it was him. But Maresca um, will. Maresca will send you off for looking at him funny. So I mean, yeah, so that's why I thought it was the game today. Yeah, yeah, he had yeah. So. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I, I I question whether that's really a red, you know. But they they made the decision there. Uh, I thought that was maybe just a little bit harsh. They were getting the penalty, um, but not for me, not a red. And I, I probably will be corrected by somebody on Twitter, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know they got I mean, the call was it is what it is with the call. Um, and so Fabio Calderella would step up to take the would take the penalty goal. He would score his twenty second goal of the season to take the lead in the Capocannieri race over Christoph Piantic. Um, no doubt about it. When he steps up, he's more, more than likely going to score, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean just his reaction after he oh, scored, you, you knew know. what it meant to him. That, that's I mean, passion. Uh, that, that's a Derby passion right there. Derby, the lead in the Capocannieri. Uh, you know, and everything, everything put together as far as that's concerned. And, uh, you know, what a season he's having, um, you know, and, and, and good to see that he can do that. At, that he continue to uh, perform at a high level uh, this deep into his career. Six games ago, he's on 22. Can he get to 30? No, that's that's yeah. a big ask. Um, can anybody get to 30? I, I don't think anyone's getting to 30. Yeah, not unless uh, someone gets hat tricks you know, Unless goalkeepers go on strike. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, the remaining schedule, they go to Bologna. Skorupski is going to give him some problems. Um, home to Lazio, uh, okay. There's a chance for a goal. I think there's a chance for a goal there. At Parma, Sepe is the only one that seems to be playing for Parma right now. Yeah. Um, at home, to, home against Empoli, he could probably get a brace out of that game. 
uh, at Kievo, another brace. Um, and then home to Juve if it's all wrapped up and they want to put him out there. Maybe. Okay, so maybe. Um, I don't know if he gets to 30. 28, 29, definitely reasonable. 30 might be just a touch out of reach. But, you know, stranger things stranger things can happen. Either way, it would be nice to see him win the Cup of Cagliari over, you know, everyone's, everyone so far said, oh, Ronaldo's going to win it. I know we were we were saying that as well. Sure. Um, Piante could be nice for for a nice story for first year in, in, in City A would get the, get the title. You know, Milik is also sniffing around there as well. But, you know, hey, nothing to be a better story than a, than a, an older player, a savvy vet, getting, getting the win, you know, Di Natale when they won in the past or Luca Toni. You know, we, we, applauded, we applauded that. So I think it would be the same situation here. Um Qualiero wasn't done. Uh, he had one more opportunity in the game. He got a free pass, and I forget who the player was that set him up. Uh, but he was one on one with uh, Radu. Uh, gets a shot off, but uh, Radu makes an excellent save um, to force it wide. Uh, otherwise, that would have been a brace for for Qualiarella. You know, Genoa didn't play that great in this game. Oh, they played. They played okay. It was, it was a fun derby, derby to watch. Uh, the final score was two nothing. But I thought Radu really stood out for me as far as Genoa goes because. Um, he made some big saves in the game. He's and he's a very underrated goalkeeper. I think he's he's got to be in the mix for in the in the in the middle of the pack as far as goalkeepers go because he's is not a name that you that jumps out at you it's like someone like oh wait he plays for Genoa whatever but uh, he makes some big saves when when he needs to. Uh, this could have been four nil. Yeah, much as it could have been two two. We we're talking about Odero's save. So you know the goalkeepers were called on in this game. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, he's he's put on some pretty solid performances for Genoa. Um, who, as a team, need to continue to rely on him. They're in a spot where it's, you know, they're six points clear of the drop. They're relatively, they're relatively safe. I think they're going to be okay, but it's the they need to, they do need to sweat a little bit here with six games to go, uh, and can't keep dropping, uh, you know, too many points here. Uh, so Radu is going to continue to be depended on. Um, I mean, you look at Genoa right now. Ever since that, it's like they beat Juventus, and they that's that's enough for them because yeah. in the le, in the four games since, just the one point at Napoli, which was hard earned because they had ten men, but they've had a red card in three of the four games, um, you know, <laughs> three straight games. In fact, uh, they lost two nil at Udinese, um, and then uh, they they're down to ten men, losing four nil uh, to Inter. 1-1 draw at Napoli down to 10 men and then down to 10 men losing to Samp 2-0. So some disciplinary issues. I, I get this was a handball issue here uh, with Piroski that the red card, I I would argue, would might have been a little bit harsh. Uh, but it's still, you know, it, it's something that that has to be cleaned up. And, you know, until then, Radu is going to still be called on. I mean, they, they host Torino coming up. They they go to Spal. They host Roma. They're at Atalanta. They host Cagliari. They're at Fiorentina. Not the friendliest run-in for a team that's only six points clear of the drop. So this isn't a done deal yet for Genoa as far as survival. They need to accumulate a few points here to give themselves some breathing room. Oh, 100%. I mean, you would think just because you have Prandelli and names like uh, Crescito and Kawami that they'll be safe, but no, it's not. I mean, they're they're only a few points above the relegation zone, like you said. And, uh, you know, for sure, Empoli's going to try to get out of that. Bologna's fighting to make sure they don't get in there. Um, and Spa, we've seen what they've done lately, so uh, it's by no stretch uh, 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 an easy run in. And you know, hey, don't look at now, but Parma's uh, all of a sudden in the relegation fight. What the heck happened to them? Yeah, they're 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 playing as if they they're playing as if they're safe and that there's nothing to play for, and and it's getting a little risky for them too. Yeah. So, 
So Sampdoria, it's a great win. It's a derby win. They 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 get that over over uh, um over Genoa. Uh, Ferrero doing his dancing and all that fun stuff. But <laughs> I mean, Europe is still out of reach for them, in my opinion. Um, they're four back of sixth, which is Atalanta on fifty two, and sure. you you got to presume Atalanta are going to beat Empoli. Yeah. So that'll mean they're six back because Roma will get pushed down to sixth on 54 points. And I think that's that's a little beyond their reach uh, this late in the season, especially with that away form. You can never trust it. So good win for them, but they're kind of in a bit of a situation of purgatory, um, you know, as far as their as far as their season is going. And I think they're playing for Qualiarella to get the Capocaninieri, but there's not much else they're going to be playing for beyond that. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're pretty much not going to go any lower than ninth place. Uh, they're eight points up on Fiorentina, who are in tenth with uh, 40 points. So they got that at least going. So they're they're going to finish in the top half of the table, which is good. Uh, they they could they should have finished a lot better, but um, yeah, Europe is going to be a far stretch at this point. You know, their closest opponents that they can get you know get within reach of, I would say, is Torino and Lazio, who are one and two points respectively above them. So um, yeah, Europa League is a little bit too far. There's too many good teams ahead of them for them to jump over, and it's going to be a little difficult. But um, at least, at least with them, you know, like you said, they're going to try to get Qualiarella, the Capocannonieri. Look out now, but Gregoire de has got nine goals on the season, so um, that's a great comeback year for him. And um, I think he's got a home now with Sampdoria. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, let's yeah, you know, let's see what happened. Now, was he sold to Sampdoria from from Roma, or was that he's still on a loan, right? I think he's still on a loan, but uh, hopefully okay. there's an option to buy because uh, yeah. it seems like a good fit uh, with him there. He wasn't having the greatest of times with Roma. And obviously, like I said, when he, as soon as he joined Sampdoria, it seemed like he's become a speedster. When before you're like, wait, he had speed before? What is this? <laughs> well, Matt and I, Matt Santantel and I had this chat last week about why Piantic and Cutroni together up front don't work because they're basically the same guy in a two forward system. Which, you know, to be successful in a two forward system in the modern game now, I think you need the 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 one guy that can absorb the abuse from the center backs, hold the ball up, uh, play with his back to goal, and then you need the guy that can free himself up. And, it, and get into some of the spaces and half spaces where he either gets the ball directly off that board or it's released back to a midfielder where he's played through, you know, some of those things. Um, Defrel is that forward for me where he can, where he's very mobile, makes very good instinctive runs. I don't know if he's, I, I don't know if I like his hold up play as much. Yeah. Um, is a master at it. I mean, he's been doing it for so long. He's, and, and you wouldn't assume it with Qualiarella. He's not a big, he's not a big guy by any stretch of the imagination. But that's why that combination works, you know, because they're two different, you know, they're two different personalities. They're two different, their, their characteristics are different as forwards. Uh, but they're able to play off of each other and it, and, and it works well, and it works well under Giampaolo and un, under his system. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's a funny way these, you know, these two strikers when they play play with each other, you know, the fit has to be right. Um, you know, many years ago, uh, we've seen all the combinations of the other strikers in the past that have worked great together, right? And we've seen ones that you thought should have worked well, and they haven't. And it's because of the reasons you just pointed out with Piantic and, and Cotrone. If they're players that are very similar, and they're gonna they're gonna get each other's way more than not. You need players yeah. who are different who can who can set each other up. So that's what something you have going for them. And uh, like you said. Hopefully they can uh, get Qualiarella that Capocanier, but or at least get him in the in the hunt for which he's right now currently leading by I think a goal right twenty two to twenty one. Yeah, he's on twenty two, and then who's on twenty one? Is it Ronaldo on twenty one? No, Milik's up there now. Piantic, yeah, Piantic's on twenty one. I'm sorry. Yeah, Ronaldo still has nineteen. Yeah, Ronaldo. Well, he hasn't played a Serie A game <laughs> since 
Christmas, it seems, um, hasn't had to. Uh, uh, but uh, and I think that uh, Milik is up there. He continues to keep scoring, so he's going to have something to say in this in this process yet yeah. too. So, so that Capo Canieri race is going to be interesting, along with um, uh, you know, along with uh, the the race for top four and the race for the relegation places, which we'll uh, get into some of this as we uh, go through the rest of Match Week 32. We were done with the derby. We didn't have any more to say about it, did we? No, just say it, it's again. It's a very underrated, underestimated derby in the world. So uh, sure. more people need to watch it. Yeah, it is. It's and I mean, and considering the events that happened in Genoa at the beginning of the, you know, back in August, at the beginning of the season, I think it's a, it, it's definitely a lot more amplified. Um, but uh, that town does come together, um, you know, and it's it's uh, it's it's certainly a unique derby, uh, and, and and one you if you're neutral. And want to watch a derby in Italian football? By all means, check that one out. It's a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, but let's get to the rest of match week 32. There were seven other games that were played over the weekend. Uh, Monday, there's Atalanta hosting Empoli. So we're recording this uh, just the night before. Um, I will just uh, go out on a limb, Richard, and say Atalanta win 3-1 um, over over Empoli, and we get uh, maybe a goal from Zapata and one from Ilicic, and let's just give one to Hatibor. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, that's a good shot. And if Zapata does get that goal, he would he would put be on level with Piantic at 21. Yeah, and then Krunic with the goal for uh, for Empoli. Uh, so, uh, so we'll just we'll just say that that's what happened. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so that 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 go, that settles it for that game, and we'll just assume Atalanta's on 55 points now, and that Empoli's in further trouble. But anyway, let's uh, let's get to the games that actually happened. It started Saturday, Spall. Uh, hosting Juventus and uh, that man scoring again, Moise Ken, in the 30th minute. It is a top five candidate in the sense that uh, he read the shot that was coming in and got his foot to it and redirected it. It was clever. It's probably not necessarily top five worthy, but uh, Moise Ken, that's a that's another tracker for his dad, right? Absolutely. That's <laughs> that's a that's a very instinctual play by a poacher. Um, only poachers can get that that. Um, intentional deflection as that was, and that was intentional by by all means, uh, by by Moise Kane. He's just a special player, and I'm really certain to like his celebration. Don't tell any Milanese that I said that. <laughs> That's, uh, they would take a one 0 lead into halftime. Uh, Spall, uh, believe it or not, they will come back. Bonifazzi with a goal, uh, with a headed goal in the 49th minute, and then Spall uh, dragged uh, Sergio Flockery off the streets. Uh, and put him in a uniform, and he scores the winner uh, of all things in 74th minute. Sergio Falacri still finds work in Serie A, Richard. Yeah, and, it's, and you can see why, because he gets a game-winning goal here against Juventus. Uh, who'd have thought Flocari, who'd have thought Spal, but also Flocari getting the goal uh, and Spal getting the victory over Juventus. Uh, what a what a way win for them, and they've been very hot lately. Maybe what Lazio the other, the other week. So. Um, yeah, don't look. Don't look now. They're uh, they're. It's almost safe to say that they're actually safe from relegation. The way they're playing right now. Like we said earlier, that is three points that there's that is three points that they probably never expected to get that they now have in their pocket. That's three points you that know, nobody expected them to get. Right. That 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 can help aid them in their survival, uh, and puts them on 35 points. Puts them seven clear of the drop from Empoli now, and in a relatively safe spot. If you've got more points than ga- more points ahead of the drop than games left, you're in a pretty good position. Yes. So, uh, as much as we've been talking about Spall and kind of how choppy they tend to play, and they'd be the one team we'd like to see go down, uh, I think we're going to see Spall again another season. The way uh, the way this thing's going. 
Yeah, uh, whether it's unfortunate or fortunate, at least they got the nice jerseys, right? We can go with that. Um, at times they play they play very well, but for the most part, they, their bread and butter is plain stingy. They're the new dentist chair, as like Genoa was in the past. So sure, yeah. And you had you had a beef with Juve's lineup. I mean, what 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 do you have against Paolo Gozzi, Iweru, and <laughs> Grigoris Castanos and was that Richard Carmen that played right? Right center, the right side of center back, or was I'm, I'm sorry, I might as well though, right? Or was that was that that was Andrea Barzali? Now I <laughs> I don't know. We're not sure. I'm still scratching our head trying to figure this out. <coughs> Bentancourt played. Yeah, Dybala played as well, and Dybala. Yeah, I mean they, they still put some, they still had some quality out there. Kind of or no, Merit or um, Perrin, Perrin, Perrin was played. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a quote unquote C lineup. Um, but I understand why they did this lineup. It's uh, Champions League is the the more important thing at the moment right now. They have they have the league uh, sewn up. They can just rest their players because they got a big game against Ajax coming up the second second leg. So I can see why they did it. But a lot of people are looking at it as like, um, oh, they're just playing. They're the scrubs now. Just uh, just because they don't care. They can be anybody. They can just they're gonna go up and line up against Spal and Spal goes out and beats them. Um, well, they've earned the they've earned, they have earned the right to. I mean, yeah. they're, they're that far 20 points ahead. up on Napoli. I mean, yeah. You get that far ahead this late in the season, you get to play whoever you want. That's the point. You know, I mean, you know, more of the Primavera. I believe Golzi, Iweru, and, and Castanos are, are Primavera players, or, yeah. or what do we know about this? Is, is that what they were? Okay. I believe so, yeah. And what's the name? We almost had a goal for them. Um, it was a wonderful shot, right? Wonderful wide for the shot that just went over the bar. Um, it was very close to being a goal by um, – oh, that's a, the, the kid who uh, had a nice shot was uh, Nicolosi. Uh, he had a great shot in the it was the second half because he came on he came on around the 60th minute um, and he nearly scored it would have been a wonderful first goal uh, to score for Juventus there. Anthony has a Juve shirt, so I mean he could have you know they could have just you know done a you know what do they do with the, the the heat transfer the numbers and the name right on the back with yeah 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 whatever it is they do these days okay but anyway so it, it was a mad lineup we get it but but Juve's also earned the right to put that out there so. Um, uh, congratulations to Spall on the, on a big three points. 62 years was the last time they beat Juve in the top, in a top flight match. Wow. Well, I mean, they have probably had, it's probably been 62 years since they've been in the top flight, but, um, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's a crazy statistic right there. And, uh, not many would have thought that, you know, that stat would have ended right there, but hey, uh, give credit to them. They played very, very hard, very well. Um, I mean, Krunich, I mean, not Krunich, um, um, uh, Oh man, Flocati having him on the team, uh, it's 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 obviously proved vital because you can see what he did in the game. He scored a game-winning goal there. Um, Petania, he's despite how fat he is, uh, he's still proven to be a quality player for them and getting goals when he needs to. Didn't get one in this game, but um, he was he was all over the place as well. So um, yeah, Spal uh, looks like they're going to be safe. Sure, no doubt about it. Um, it's it's looking good for them at this point. That's a huge win for them. All right, uh, Roma. One Udinese nil. Aiden Jekyll in the 67th minute, a, a very creative pass from Stefan El Shirawi to set that goal up. But I think the story here is Antonio Mirante. Yeah, Mirante, uh, and I think a, a second story would be Jekyll's movement and, and involvement in the game. He was all over the place, but Mirante, uh, he's definitely the man of the match for me. Uh, he, ever since he's finally someone's listened to us on Syria Sitan and said, put in Mirante. Maybe they listen to Roma Press. Uh, who knows? Uh, but. Uh, yeah, Marante isn't making save after save. I mean, he he literally kept uh, Roma uh, with a clean sheet in this one. Uh, he made some big saves throughout the game on on DePaul and some other players. Um, 
Puseto, I think, was another one. So, yeah, uh, he's we've been clamoring for this all season long, and it seems like uh, he finally got the job, and it's it's gonna be good for Roma going forward. The team's obviously look, look much more stabilized, uh, especially in the defense and and, and back. And um, this is uh, the right time to put him in net because you know now they're getting the results they need, and they're just what one point behind Milan, I think. So, um, yep. uh, good for good for them to make the decision because. Morante is, is a good keeper. He's a solid keeper. We we said that from the beginning, right? That's why they brought right. him in. Yes, for sure. And uh, uh, Mandragora nearly uh, beat him. Nearly scored from distance again, but yeah. Morante got his glove to it. Um, you know, so Musso actually came up with a couple of decent saves here too to keep the game close. I mean, again, goalkeepers were outstanding this weekend, uh, nearly across the board. So, uh, but a big win for Roma as they continue to fight for top four. Uh, Torino and Cagliari finishes 1-1. Uh, it was Simone and, uh, Simone Zaza in the 52nd minute. Uh, and then there was a foul against Torino that Simone Zaza didn't like, said something about the referee's mother, got a straight red for it. Yes. Um, and then, uh, Cagliari would equalize through Pavoletti in the 75th. This was actually ruled offside originally, but then they went to VAR and, uh, um, Overturned it, realized that Pavoletti was in an onside position when he when when the ball was played. Uh, smart use of VAR there, yep. uh, making it one one. Uh, but at a cost for Cagliari, Luca Pellegrini will miss the next game from a second yellow being sent off, and Nicolo Barella also a uh, second yellow, uh, very very late in the game, 95th minute in fact. So. Um, Calgary, uh, in good shape. Ten, you know, nothing to worry about here. But boy, if they were closer to the drop, they'd be they'd be sweating without those two players. Yeah, those are two uh, two instrumental players for them this anyway, season. They're playing. Hold on, they're playing Frozenoni on side. They don't need them. Be fine. <laughs> I think so, you know what it is. They both realize, hey, we got Frozenoni next. We don't want. We don't want to play them. We don't want to play them. So we're gonna get that second yellow now, and yeah. we'll sit that one, and yeah. we'll come back to play Roma. Any other game, so. Barella would be missed for sure. Bellegrini as well, but uh, definitely uh, Barella. Barella is such a special player. So um, yeah, I guess he just wanted a vacation off of Frozenoni and get some rest before the the, the final five games or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah, if there's any more than that, uh, they'd be sweating bullets or closer to the drop, like you said. But uh, I think they're they're okay right now. And Torino still very much in the discussion here for top six and grabbing a European place, sitting on 50 points. Uh, uh, but, you know, dropping points in this one where they had a 1-0 lead, obviously the Zaza incident didn't do them any favors. So this is, uh, this is, this is really two points lost from uh, the Zaza incident on out. Yeah, I mean, they already were struggling because Belotti had a red card in the previous game, so he had to sit out this game. And then, so they really had really one big dog up there and, Zaza, you know, shouldn't have said something about the referee's mother like he did and then got kicked out. So it put them a little bit of a pickle. You know, they also don't have Iago Falque. So uh, it, it left Torino uh, wanting up front, and it showed throughout the game. After that goal, they really weren't uh, able to offer too much going forward, and um, it gave Cagliari an opportunity to get the, the equalizer, which they did, rightfully so. Yep, for sure. Uh, a couple of goalless draws to talk about. Um, uh, first, uh, Fiorentina and Bologna going nil-nil. Um, Fiorentina, was this uh, Vincenzo Montella's first game in charge? Yes, it, yes, it was indeed. Okay, so uh, his uh, his, his uh, he played for Fiorentina too, so this was kind of a homecoming for him, right? Yeah, he's ba- he's back again in the, in the title, and he has uh he's back to a team he played with also. So okay, okay, so uh, so back in charge, and I just want to look up something here. Um, let me see. Yep, he played three at the back. 
He can't help himself no, but do that, can't. right? He can't. So he went Milenkovic, Pizzella, Cecchini, and then Biragi is more of a wing back, which actually be kind of he he's using Chiesa as a right sided midfielder instead of having him deeper in the attack, and then it was a two man front with Simeone and Muriel. So it's a three kind of a three one four two look is what he's going for. He had he had Veretu sitting in front of the back three. If mm. I look at this formation right, which okay, this is weird. Um. He better fix this. <laughs> At least he kept Lafont in, in in goal. I mean, that's yeah. You want to have that. Yeah. He's probably poking around seeing if he can bring Kalinic back. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. He actually he did well for Fiorentina, so maybe that will work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he actually he bring did, back Babacar while you're at it too. Yeah, it'd be uh, you know, it'll be uh, they can party like it's 2017. Um. <laughs> so uh, let's see. So. Nil-nil, big point, though, for Bologna and Skorupski with six saves in this game uh, to preserve the uh, draw for Bologna in their efforts to try to uh, survive the drop. So they're now three points clear of Empoli. Um, we're assuming Empoli is going to lose to Atalanta on Monday, so there'll be three points once match week 32 completes. Um, so a big win for Bologna. Bologna host Empoli still... Um, in a couple weeks' time, uh, April 27th, which that's going to be a true six-pointer. Uh, yep. But obviously, they host they host Sampdoria first. Uh, so some big games coming up for Bologna and a team that continues to find find its footing under Mihailovic. Yeah, they're uh, they got the right manager to lead them out of the drop, I think. And then uh, yeah, currently they're out of it. They're out of the top. They're out of the relegation zone, which is good. Uh, but they've been playing a lot better lately, especially against the good teams. Uh, in particular, like we said, in this matchup against Fiorentina, they did have a quality opportunity. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned during the, during the recap, but uh, Lafont tried to take the ball away from uh, the Cagliari players or uh, Bologna players around midfield, missed completely, and then runs back and makes a save somehow. His teammates bail him out to hold him up uh, just enough so they couldn't get a shot off. But uh, Bologna, yeah, they've been playing very stingy lately. They've been playing much more disciplined, which was something they were lacking. And, uh, you know, with all the help that they're getting defensively now, Skorupski's really making the big saves, and uh, and and like you said, this game six saves. I mean, some of them are really really uh, hard uh, hard saves to make. So, um, yeah, they're, they're starting to look like a team now. And even you know, if they had him for Mihalovic for the whole season, who knows where they could have finished? Uh, but maybe I guess we'll have to wait till next season to see how well they can do under him. But again, we've seen how teams uh, in year two against uh, with Mihalovic turn out. So maybe they're not out of the waters just yet. Yeah, maybe not, but uh, but still plenty to play for uh, for them, and that was a, uh, a a good step forward for them, um, you know, in their efforts to uh, fight off uh, relegation to get a point at the Artemio Franchi. So uh, nil nil there. Sassuolo Parma also nil nil. There was a penalty save by Consili on Fabio Ceravolo, uh in this game in the 40th minute. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out when the hell. When did Chiravolo come on? Because I didn't even see him in the starting lineup for Parma. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. He was starting at striker. So, um, But, no, he had his penalty saved uh, by Consili, uh, part of a performance where Consili made some significant saves in this game. Actually, that was the only save that he was called on to make, uh, but it was Luigi Seppe who made six saves uh, you know, to help preserve the point for Parma. Uh, move on, nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to give kudos to both goalkeepers, in particular Sepe with the six saves that he that you mentioned. Um, definitely top five candidate there. Uh, but yeah, there's not much really to talk about there. The no goals. Both teams don't just play for nothing. No, Sassuolo was the team that 
clearly gave a shit in this game. They had 72% possession, 20 shots, yeah. six on target. The only shot on target for Parma was that penalty that got missed um, or that got saved. So um, so those were the two nil-nil games. Uh, Kievo won, Napoli three. Kalidou Koulibaly in the 15th minute. Uh, Arkadiusz Milik in the 64th. Koulibaly in the 81st. We told you a defender was the leading scorer uh, this just for this week alone. <laughs> so that's how... That's how pitiful the finishing was here in Serie A this week. And Cesar getting a goal in the 90th for Kievo as a parting gift as um, they are, well, they've been down for a long time, but, um, you know, they're just playing up the stretch at this point. Uh, Napoli, now it's on to the Europa League, which we'll talk about here in a bit. Um, and then, uh, well, we should mention Milik is a goal of the week candidate. It probably is the goal of the week. Um, that's how bad the goals were this week. So yeah. not I'm, not being a goal, but... I'm not I'm not being a dick. I'm seriously this the goals were all meh. They're like tap ins and headers and like eh. Yeah, yeah. I mean the goalkeeping was better than the goals. I'm not I'm yes. not I'm not kidding around about this. So all right. Uh, and then Frozinone won inter three, Rajan Angolan in the nineteenth minute, a Pedisic penalty in the thirty seventh. Uh Casata made this interesting for Frozinone, made it two one, and I wanna say was it Chofani who had the Yeah, almost made free it two two that went nearly wide that nearly made it two two. Yep. Yeah. And uh but Vecino would put it away in the ninety third, giving Inter an important three points here, Richard. Um uh giving them a little bit of breathing room from the chasing pack. I mean, right now this is a race for fourth, but Inter's one slip of away from making this a race for third or fourth. So they you know, um it, they might say, yeah, it's only frozen, only we're supposed to do this, but, you know, these are some important points here down the stretch. It certainly is, and, it, and it's it's important that they, you know, with, with Laturo out, that they get Icardi um, into it into the game, game speed as, as quick as possible. And with, that, with that last assist that he had at the Vecino, it was, it was a tremendous pass, good vision by him. It's, it's the kind of, t- kind of things we expect out of him. Uh, but Inter, they've shown uh, resourcefulness uh, to win in this game. It wasn't an easy game by any stretch. Rosinone are, you know, are trying to get some way somehow out of the relegation zone. They're not going to, but they're they're fighting still. And uh, yeah, Inter had to Inter had to deserve had to fight and earn the win of this one. And um, if it wasn't really for Andanovic with a couple saves in this game, it could have been a little bit closer even than the three-one scoreline. Yeah, for sure. Andanovic, another goalkeeper that that came up and performed well. So. So we look at the table, Juventus uh, 84, Napoli 67, so uh, a point uh, for Juventus this weekend hosting Fiorentina, and they're good. Uh, they can officially uh, call themselves Scudetto winners, even though they've been Scudetto winners pretty much all season. Uh, Inter 60, Milan 55, Roma 54, Atalanta 52, but that should be 55 after they take care of business against Empoli on Monday. Um, Torino 50, uh, and then we've got Lazio 49, Rome, uh, Sampdoria 48. So those guys still in the in the conversation, if you will. Um, right now, I mean, it's it's down to fourth, and like I said, if Inter slip, it's going to be a, ra- a race for third and fourth. Yeah, uh, they're not they're not safe by any stretch in in, in terms of third position, but um, with a five point gap and with six games remaining. You got to at least say that, that it's the chances are better than not that they're going to finish in third. But yeah, any any kind of slip up and you can have Atalanta, certainly Atalanta or Milan, um, get within reach, and who knows maybe even Roma. So those are the probably three teams that are are nipping right at the heels of Inter, hoping that they uh, slip up just a little bit. We should point out that with next weekend uh, being Easter, with next Sunday being Easter, all of the games are on Saturday. Nice. Um, Roma are at Inter uh, this Saturday, so that's. 
probably the big marquee game. In Napoli Atalanta too, right? Uh, is it Napoli Atalanta? I believe that's who it is. Atalanta's playing some big. Looking. Uh, the 20th. Yeah, Atalanta. Actually, they're going to play on Monday the 22nd. Yep. Uh, so they're going to host Atalanta on Monday the 22nd. Cause, and that's that's that, that's smart because Napoli are playing Thursday against Arsenal. So um, smart decision to move that game. But, you know, you got Roma at Inter, Napoli against Atalanta, two games that are absolutely going to help continue to shape this European chase. Can now, With Roma finding Miran, coming to their senses and playing Mirante now regularly, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and Inter, this is kind of a juicy one because Inter are starting to find their legs a little bit. Um, you know, they had the nil-nil draw with Atalanta. That if you if you watch that game, you were as bored as I was with it. Two teams that just played blah, but um, and two teams of, for two teams of their quality it was really disappointing. But since losing at home to Lazio, they they thrashed Genoa. They got that draw with Atalanta, beat Frosinone. So Inter getting on a little bit of a roll, trying to put together some points. Roma coming to their senses, playing with Mirante. Who do you like in this game on Saturday? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough call, right? Um, Roma have played a lot better lately, and normally I would just I would just out and out favor Inter. However, um, Jacko starting to come to form. That's his first goal in a while. Uh, well, first goal. Um, in the year against the opponent that he had this weekend, but um, they're playing better overall, and a lot of it has to do with Mirante. Um, he's, he's he's brought stabilization in that back, like I said in earlier, and uh, uh, you're not worried about them leaking as many goals as they had before because they got a, a competent goalkeeper back there. Uh, but still, you got to like Inter. Um, they got a they got a really strong squad, you know, through and through. Uh, they're led by their captain Handanovic, who's making big saves when he needs to make it, um, which is important. And uh, you know now it seems like Icardi and Perisic, those guys are starting to find their starting to find the net now more, uh, especially that you know you can't underestimate how how important that that penalty kick goal was for Perisic for confidence wise. It's, get, it's getting back in the net. Sometimes all you need is that to break the duck. Um, but you guys got you guys got like Vecino and Politano nearly scored in the game as well. Um, I got I got Inter as a slight favorites in this one. I I think it's going to be some goals in this one. I'm going to think maybe like a two one win for Inter. I, I'm with you on that just because they're at home. Um, I think that that's uh, that's the way it's going to play out. Um, Inter will go ahead and take care of business and get get a narrow win here. Um, so, I and I think I think it's a you know a one nil. I think that Roma will play bravely. I think that they're going to they're th- these two teams are going to have a go at each other. Uh, but in the end, I think Inter are just going to edge ahead of Roma. It's going to make things very, very interesting, But though, if Roma should win this game, because that's exactly where you talk about that, okay, third place becomes up for grabs. So um, Inter do need to watch themselves because it's not just that for Inter. They have um, they host Juve, which doesn't sound like a big deal anymore because Juve's just all in on the Champions League, but they travel to Udinese who have played a lot better under Igor Tudor. Yep. They travel to Napoli Um you know they host Empoli and Chievo, so those are going to be some points. But there are some there's some landmines here for Inter, uh, so they they need to grab all the points they can in the games that they, uh, you know, should get points to try to secure their place top four next season. So uh, sliding down to the relegation zone real quick, Rich, um, we've got Empoli, Frosinone, Chievo, 28, 23, and 11. Chievo's already down. Um, Frosinone dangerously close. I'd say good is done right now. Eight out with six to play is just not a good situation to be in. Uh, I don't know where they're going to find the points. Um, 
And like I said, I think Empoli's going to lose to Atalanta, so let's just keep him in 18th. Uh, Empoli-Spal next weekend is going to be a big game. It's Empoli and Spal next weekend, um, where Empoli can drag Spal right back into this situation. Or if Spal win, Spal can consider themselves safe because party they mode. Buy, yeah, they'll yeah, they'll be a big party in Ferrara. Petania so, will be eating lots of pizza. Yeah, Petania Petania will uh, hit the buffet pretty hard, won't he? Yes, yeah, so, before and after the match. <laughs> yeah, so I am getting to be more and more of the belief that the three are in the drop right now, or the three that are going to go down. What do you think? I'm sadly inclined to to agree with you. Um, I would love to see. Empoli play uh, in Serie A one more season, but Bologna is not going to drop points at this at this time of season. Udinese are playing much better, like you said, and I think Genoa and Parma and Spal have enough to to keep themselves out. So, um, yeah, as as good as Empoli can play at times, we saw how well they played against Juventus and some of these other clubs this year, and they're very attack minded. They they can't stop enough in the back, and it's it's unfortunate for guys like Caputo and Lagomina and Krunic and and guys like that and Zayic. Uh, they're fun to watch, but again, if you can't keep the ball out of the net. You're not going to get far in the league. And uh, sadly, uh, you know, we're going to miss those blue jerseys next year. But uh, I think they're going to be going down this year. Yep, yep. It's looking more and more likely, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, all right, so that's what we're looking at with the league. How about uh, okay? We're, we're top five plays of the week or performances of the week, however you want to say it. Uh, I'll give you mine. Um, all right, this might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> at least pick right, the games. Gonna, pick the games that the goalies are from. How about that? Maybe yeah, yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. Okay, number five, I'm gonna go with. I am going to go with Pepe Reina. I think he made some key saves. Uh, to keep Milan in it, especially in the first half, having to stop Immobile on a couple of occasions that were very, very important to help Milan get those three points. So I'll put him at number five. Okay. Um, I'm going to put uh, Sepe's performance for Parma at number four uh, to preserve mm. the point against Sassuolo. I'm going to put Skorupski at number three. Uh, I'm going to put the Milik goal at number two. And then uh, my performance of the week is going to go to Aldera and the two key saves that he made uh, to preserve the Derby win for Sampdoria. Hmm. Okay. Not bad. Um. I like those shouts. Uh, I would want to maybe try to. Oh, the person I want to squeeze in there is Consili with the with the with the penalty save. But other than that, I, I like the I like that shout. Okay. No problem. So, uh, your top five performances of the week go to at Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. We're gonna wrap this up with a quick look at Europe. Okay, um, so let's uh, let's talk here on uh, Champions League first with Juventus uh, at the J on Tuesday hosting Ajax with an ever so slight advantage with the away goal one one on aggregate going in. Uh, it was Ronaldo who uh, scored on a early cross in from Cancelo uh, and then um, a uncharacteristic lapse in concentration by Juventus. Uh, leading to David Neres going the other way and scoring the equalizing goal for Ajax to make it 1-1. Ajax actually created some chances here and maybe were a little unlucky not to run away winners. Uh, So 1-1, dare we say, flatters Juve a little bit going into this, Richard? Yeah, and I think the way that Ajax has been playing this Champions League season, or this season in general, uh, you got to say it's it's certainly a flattering... um, Fluttering lead for Juventus, but hey, you have the lead going home. What more can you ask for, right? Um, we said if they can get a goal at at, at Amsterdam, that would be so key going back home because you know they're going to be so much more stout defensively. Uh, so 
they're they're in a favorable position right now, but do not underestimate Ajax's uh, attacking potential. Uh, we've seen it time and time again this season, especially in Champions League. Ask Real Madrid uh, what they did in in Madrid. So um, anything is still possible. They gotta they gotta play tough, but uh, I, I expect that Ronaldo's playing. Uh, he's gonna step up to the challenge no matter what it is. So. Yeah, that's exactly my point, and I think that that's why Juve is going to go through through to the last four. They have arguably the greatest player, um, maybe in the history of the entire European Cup, um, going all the way back to 1955. Although you know I wasn't alive for Puskas and uh, Di Stefano and and some of the players from Real Madrid from back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, Saki's Milan. Uh, the the IX teams, the Bayern, you know, all all the players that were born from, you know, from those generations of, you know, teams. Uh, but as far as the modern Champions League concern and format is concerned, arguably the greatest player uh, of the modern Champions League era. Um, you know, the debate will always be between Ronaldo and Messi. If you want to measure it on uh, actual Champions League wins, Ronaldo has more. Um, he's been in this situation so many times and we've seen him rise up so many times and I've got no reason to believe why he won't rise up on this occasion against Ajax. Um, I'm going to say 3-1 to Juve. Uh, I see a brace for Ronaldo and I think a goal is going to come somewhere else. Maybe Mandzukic. Um, Mandzukic is long overdue for a goal uh, in any competition. So I'll go 3-1 for this game and I'll go uh, Juve going through 4-2 on aggregate. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, Ronaldo, if, if, if nothing else, is the greatest goal scorer of this Champions League generation. We've seen that. There's no doubt. There's no argument about that. But just look at the goal-scoring charts in Champions League. So um, I look for him to score a goal, at least at least one for sure. Um, and maybe give Super Mario a goal as well. Maybe, I'll say 2-1 Juventus, and they go and they win on aggregate. Okay. Okay, so you think it'll be a little bit tighter. All right, and then as far as Napoli is concerned, uh, if you ask uh, our friends at Far From Vesuvius, if you ask Ken, if you ask Rafa, if you ask those guys there, they'll tell you the first half at the Emirates was probably the worst 45 minutes Napoli played all season, and we're punished for it, beaten 2-0 uh, by Arsenal in London. Uh, it returns now to the San Paulo for leg two. Um, can they overcome this, Richard, or... Has the damage already been done? I don't think the damage has been done. We saw how they played in the second half against Arsenal. Um, Insigne had a wonderful setup to, uh, who was it? Um, Zelinski, who nearly yeah. scored a goal at the end of the game against Arsenal. So uh, they're still there. I think when they're home, they're going to feed off that crowd. Um, you, you can never underestimate what, what the, the power of the home crowd can do. We saw what Arsenal did, right? They, they jumped off the 2 nothing lead. Um, they played very, very well, especially that first 45 minutes, and you know they they almost had a third goal at the end of the game with Ramsey or whomever. So um, it'll be a tight game. Um, I do expect Napoli to score some goals in this game, though. Uh, they should be well. It should play much better than they did in that first, at least first 45. Um, I'm looking for some goals in this game, and I'm gonna probably say something like, "Oh man, um, ooh, tough, tough, tough." They gotta win by three. Yeah, I was gonna say because I was I was gonna say three one, but I'm like three one makes our, means Arsenal win. Three yeah, three one knocks them out. So I'm gonna go ooh, two nothing. It goes extra time, and then Napoli win an extra time. Oh, you coward! <laughs> oh, you coward! You're gonna take the easy way out. You're not looking for that. You're not looking for that Ancelotti experience and that Napoli dominance and. All right, three nothing. Uh, there you go. Okay, okay, okay. You you dug yourself out of that. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
as good as Arsenal is and as you know as good a manager is and I mean let's not forget Unai, Unai Emery is very very good in cup oh, competitions you know before before his time at PSG where it didn't work it didn't work out in cup competitions he was winning Europa Leagues at Sevilla yeah so he knows the landscape he knows how to navigate these things and that's some one of the things that you know as as much as we can revere Carlo Ancelotti and I'm probably going to upset a lot of people when I say this but the man Ancelotti does not have the managerial edge that you might think that he should have uh, because of the experience that Emery has in these situations. Now, Arsenal, when they go away, they give up goals. It's just a matter of can Napoli score enough goals. Um, the problem here going the other way um, for Napoli is that Arsenal are very dangerous and can hit you on the break. They've got Aubameyang. They've got Lacazette. Um they, you know, if they play, they play a three-man defense. Maitland Niles runs down the right-hand side uh, as a wing back. They've got Kolasinac, who's had a pretty good season for them. Um, you, you know, an old face is going to return in the form of Lucas Torreira. Um, you know, Shaka could probably feature in this. So Arsenal certainly have some personalities here, but they can, you can get at them, and I think that Napoli will get at them. Um, and I am going to bang the drum for Italian football, but because of what Arsenal can provide going the other way, I go Napoli four, Arsenal one. So uh, uh, I, I I think that this will be a masterclass for Ancelotti's men, uh, and it'll get them through to the semifinal. And I'm only doing this because I host an Italian football podcast, and I want to see the Italian teams go through. So of course I'm going to predict Napoli to go through and reverse this uh, <laughs> reverse this deficit. So. Uh, how do you guys see Juve Ajax and Napoli Arsenal going down? Go to at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie sit down. Richard, uh, what are you up to? Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I'm going to be joining Stephen Brandt's uh, podcast, uh, the Yellow Card podcast, um, uh, this week. Uh, on Wednesday, actually, so you listen for me there. Uh, they're doing the live streaming. Uh, other than that, um, just uh, staying busy. Uh, with family life so uh you can find me uh on twitter or anywhere on social media at r underscore k-h-a-r-m-a-n excellent you can find me at ftc underscore 21 uh you can go to at city sit down on twitter or instagram any uh questions comments complaints uh suggestions for future podcasts hit us up uh we'd love to hear from you uh we're on itunes we're on soundcloud we have our own channels there you can find us on stitcher you can find us on spotify just about any place where they play podcasts you can find us uh also check out our youtube channel where richard rolls out our top five of the week in this case are going to be top five performances of the week and not necessarily goals because there weren't many and there weren't many good ones. So uh, it was one of those weeks. That all, all, all the means is that coming up uh, this Saturday, uh, we should expect to see uh, the abacus have to come out. That's usually what happens. So <laughs> let's at least hope so. Um, but uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to to listen to Serie Sit Down. For those of you that practice it, uh, have a great Holy Week and a happy Easter. Um, and... Uh, we will be back with you shortly after that, I believe, uh, and hopefully with good news with the Italian teams in Europe and with a whole new picture being painted with what's going on in the races in Serie A. Uh, uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening, and as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao. <laughs>